Hi, my name is Ruben Porter. I'm the lead pastor here at Crossroads Church, and it's great to have you on our podcast today. We hope this message encourages you, builds you up in your faith, and ultimately brings you closer to Jesus. Enjoy. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord is the King. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his holy name for the Lord is good and his steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. O worship the King, all glorious above. O gratefully sing of his power and his love. Our shield and defender, the ancient of days, pavilioned in splendor and girded with praise. The one who gifted us the miracle birth and brought to us heaven on earth. Oh, praise, oh, praise, oh, praise the ancient of days. Lord, we praise you for who you are and the precious gift that you gave us in your son, Jesus. Lord, I ask that today you would grant your servant great boldness in preaching your word and that may miraculous signs and wonders continue to be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Thank you very much, team. Appreciate that. Well, good morning, church. Oh, whoop. Where are you? Good morning, church. There we go. Everyone's thinking about Christmas. Hey, um, it's a great day to be in the house of the Lord. And uh, if you don't know me, my name is Samuel. Uh, I look forward to meeting you. I've been here, uh, part of the Crossroads family, for pretty much my whole life. Um, and my, my parents have been here my whole life as well. Um, And today it's my privilege to be able to continue in our Christmas series, Heaven on Earth. Uh, We've had some incredible teachings so far, and it's clear to see that the Lord is building to something great. So I'm excited to see what he reveals through the message today. But before we do get into today's message, uh, and as we are fast approaching the end of the year, and with this kind of being like the final official service for 2023, As someone who is a part of the family here at Crossroads, I thought this would be an appropriate time uh, for us as a church to honor some pretty incredible people that have each played a pivotal role in leading our church. So with that, I would like to invite all the church staff and elders to stand. Uh, Make sure that your other halves are standing as well. Those that are here. Here we go. A few of them. I want to thank you all for the dedication and service that you've committed to this church. Uh, I know that none of you seek any recognition for, for it, and that for that we're truly grateful. But sometimes a man needs to stand uh, on behalf of his church and acknowledge the blessing that the Lord has given him and his family. And uh, this year we've seen some incredible movements of the Spirit. Uh, we have witnessed the Lord's hand amongst our community, and we have heard a relentless stream of truth from this pulpit. And this is a direct result of you all allowing the Father to guide and instruct your decision-making. So church, if you would feel comfortable, uh, stretch out your hands and let's pray for our church leadership and team, eh? Heavenly Father, we thank you, we glorify you, we honor you, and we praise you, Lord. Father, this morning we lift up our church leadership before you, and we acknowledge the blessing that you have given us in in their appointment. Lord, would you continue to empower them in in the direction and plan that you have for our church. And I ask that right now, you would fill each one of them with your Holy Spirit. 
Lord, would you pour out your living water on them until their cups are overflowing with divine presence. Give them renewed strength and renewed confidence in the calling that you've placed on each one of their lives. Father, as believers in your glorious truth, we stand beside them in faith. We recognize that it is difficult to be in positions of authority, especially with the opposition we're faced with today. But Lord, we take great comfort in knowing that while with man it is impossible, with God all things are possible. Mountains can be moved, the stone can be rolled away, darkness can become light. And Lord, I know that you've told me to, po- uh, to pray a bold prayer over them. So right now, in the name of Jesus, we call forth their spiritual blessings to increase sevenfold in the new year. That you would fan into flame the endless possibilities of your spirit through their works. That you would continue building them into great pillars of wisdom and faith so that this church can see even more greater things in the new year for your glory. More prayers of salvation, more baptisms, more outreach, more miracles, more discipling, more revelations, more ground for the kingdom. Lord, we want more and more and more of you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our leaders. We glorify you for their designation. We honor you for their lives. And above all, we praise you for who you are. And all of God's people said, Amen. Thanks, guys. You can grab a seat. Appreciate that. Well, as I said, today we are continuing in our Christmas series called Heaven on Earth. Uh, And the title of today's message is Worship the King. When I found out that I was going to be preaching during the, uh, the Christmas series, I got quite excited, eh? Though it's probably not for the reason that you're all thinking. See, last year I was meant to preach a Christmas message as well. And so this time around, I kind of thought to myself, perfect, time to go and do a little bit of Revelation Recycling. Because what happened was I got taken out by COVID and wasn't actually able to preach the message. I know it's terrible, but don't worry, I've walked through my conviction on that. Because when I went back to reread the message, I realized that I was, I remembered, sorry, that I was asked to speak on the virgin birth. Now, and and Craig has already covered that subject and an amazing job that he did. But let me tell you something. You should be glad that it was one of our elders, not to mention a pharmacist teaching spiritual conception and not a 26-year-old law student. I mean, the science of it, the biology was mind-blowing, eh? Like, I, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I went full son of a midwife mode on that thing. Uh, and I don't know if my mum would be proud or terrified, but anyway, what we've done is we've vaulted that one for now, locked the key on it, and uh, probably never to return. But anyway, started fresh with this one. Praise the Lord. Uh, So today we're going to be reading from uh, Luke chapter 2. We're going to be reading verses 25 through 40. Um, I'll be reading from the ESV translation if you're interested. Otherwise, yep, there it is on the screen behind me. Uh, So Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 40. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God, saying, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, 
Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84 years old. She did not depart from the temple, worshipping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. In this passage, we are introduced to Simeon and Anna, uh, two individuals, both, with, uh, both who lived their lives in great anticipation and expectation for God to redeem and save Israel, and ultimately every nation of the world. But before we do get to know them a little bit more, I want to touch briefly on the purpose of this story. Because if you're anything like myself, you'll have a few questions circulating in your head about now. Things like, what was God's intention in this testimony? Why did we need to know about Simeon and Anna? You know, it's nice to hear about the baby dedication of Jesus, but what was the reason for its publication? We heard in Liv's message last week that God is sovereign, so what was the bigger picture purpose in this moment? Well, at this point in the Christmas story, it's estimated that Jesus would have been around one to two months old. Uh, Mary and Joseph might have been walking in with a diaper bag and a stroller, but according to Jewish tradition, he would have been roughly 40 days old. This story occurs prior to them fleeing to Egypt, and some even believe that this happened before the wise men arrived. And up until this time, the birth of Jesus had only been witnessed by the shepherds, which sheds light on why we have the account of Simeon and Anna. Because in order for something to be, to be confirmed, it must be witnessed by at least two or three people. How do I know this? Well, it's established in Deuteronomy 19, verse 15, which says, A single witness shall not suffice. Only on the evidence of two or three witnesses shall a matter be affirmed. It's confirmed in Matthew 18, verse 16, which says, But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And it's validated in 2 Corinthians 13 verse 1, which again says every matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. See, because our God doesn't leave room for us to doubt his sovereignty. When he is orchestrating his plan, when he is fulfilling his prophecies, when he is performing his wondrous signs and miracles, our God doesn't leave room for doubt. So you might say to me, Samuel, that's a nice sentiment, but I still doubt, so how can that be true? Well, I'm glad you asked, because the answer is very simple. God doesn't leave room for us to doubt his sovereignty, but we do. God's absence of doubt doesn't eliminate it from the human experience. In fact, he's the one that created it. And because of this, he knew that if we had to go on just the word of some shepherds alone, it wouldn't be enough. And so he gives us the testimony of Simeon and Anna. Oh, and not to mention Mary, Joseph, John, Peter, Andrew, James, Philip, Nathaniel, Simon, Judas, Martha, Zacchaeus, Nicodemus, Isaiah, Micah, David, Daniel, so many more. See, this whole book is wrapped around the story of Jesus because God doesn't leave room for us to doubt his sovereignty. Which brings me to my first point. O come, 
all ye faithful. Verses 25 and 26. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the, into the temple. It's a little bit of a self-centered thought, but every time I read one of these descriptions about faith-filled men and women in the Bible, I'm always asking myself the question, what would they say about me? What would they say about me? You know, Simeon was a righteous and devout man. Samuel, he was doing okay. Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Samuel was waiting in line at the plaza. As you can tell, I'm fairly critical of myself, but as I read this description, I became aware of a characteristic that I actually shared with Simeon, something that myself, along with every other Christian alive today, can relate to. The Holy Spirit was upon him. And as I read and reread and reread these two verses, a moment of conviction fell upon me. See, Simeon might have been a really intelligent guy. Simeon might have had a beautiful home, a beautiful wife. Simeon might have been a great public speaker. He might have had a lot of money. He might have been incredibly handsome. We don't know. All that, we do, all that we're told about him is that he was righteous and devout, waiting on the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Why? Because the most important part of his identity, the only thing that actually made him a notable person, was his obedience to God, his trust in the Lord's plan, and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Think about it. What makes you a notable person? This comment of the Holy Spirit being upon him, it holds a lot of significance too. Not just because we can now relate to this righteous and devout man, but because prior to the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit only came upon a cert some certain people, and a very select few. Even more significant was the fact that he still had the anointing of the Holy Spirit, even in his old age. Historically, it often didn't take permanent residence prior to Pentecost. How do I know this? Well, we see it expressed in David's prayer in Psalm 51 when he says, Lord, take not your spirit from me. Simeon would have known this too. Trust me, if he was faithful enough to be gifted the Holy Spirit, I can guarantee you he would have been well-versed in the Scriptures. And what did he do with this powerful anointing? He was obedient, he trusted in God, and he waited for the Lord to fulfill his promise. Sometimes I think it's worth reminding ourselves of the powerful anointing we are walking with every day of our lives, because so often we can become distracted by the world around us, especially at this time of year. But 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, do not quench the Holy Spirit. We cannot be people who allow the world around us to suppress the works of the Spirit. Rather, we should be living in a constant state of worship and acknowledgement for the powerful gifting that we have received through Christ, so that when others look at us, especially at this time of year, they don't see a busy person. They see the light of the world. You know, tradition says that Simeon was 113 years old when Jesus came into the temple. 113 years old. Simeon had been waiting a long, long time for the Messiah. Now, I can't speak for you, but if I had a good friend named Simeon, and then one day he tells me, you know what, Samuel, the Lord has revealed to me that I'm going to meet Jesus. I wouldn't leave his side, eh? Like, I'd be right there with him in every moment. I'd be stuck to him like a price tag on an overpriced secret Santa present. I wouldn't be going anywhere. And then, you know, and then 50 years pass, 
60 years, 70, 80, 90, 100 years pass. By the time we get to 113, I'm going to start questioning my good friend Simeon. Like, Simeon, brother, I'm, I'm ready to call it a day. Where is he? And he'd just take one look at me and go, I don't know. Still breathing. Still coming. It would have felt like forever. But Simeon and his faith understood that every day he lived was another day closer to his promise. So he continued to live in praise and worship, not just for what God had already accomplished, but also for what he would do for humanity. It's a great example to us today that worship isn't merely about singing or praise, but rather it also encompasses a posture of the heart, a constant state of adoration, trust, and reverence, even amidst waiting for God's promises. And when the Spirit called him into the temple, it all became worth it. The wait was finally over. I wonder if you've ever felt like you're in a season of waiting. Maybe you're in that season right now. A prayer that hasn't been answered, a miracle that hasn't yet occurred, a promise that hasn't yet been fulfilled, a direction that hasn't yet been received. Let me tell you, and let me say it quickly because I'm going way off topic, God has not abandoned you. And every day you live is another day closer to the promise that he has for you. But he has not abandoned you. So even in the season of waiting, he can bless you. How do I know this? Isaiah 40, 31 says, But those who continue to hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. If you continue to hope in the Lord and lean not on your own understanding, he will continue to bless you. You know, I've experienced this season of waiting firsthand. Seven years we waited for, for the Lord to heal my dad. Seven long years we waited for a miracle. And even though it didn't happen, what I have since come to realize is that even though we were only meant to get one year with him, the Lord gifted us seven years, 2,500 days all spent soaking in the presence of the Lord, standing alongside one another in prayer, fasting, and worship, seven years building a faith that is so unshakable, so immovable, so life-giving that it is the reason I'm even alive today, because for seven years... I was able to witness how good our God really is. And when I look back on it now, I don't see a season of waiting. I see the greatest blessing that the Lord has ever given me. And I can confidently say to you that one day when you get to heaven, you will meet a man named Simeon, a man named Brent Jennings, and a million of other Christians that will tell you every second of every hour, of every day, of every month, of every year was so worth it. Because when God fulfilled his promise, heaven met with earth, the broken was made whole, death had no sting, the lost became found, the stone was rolled away, the, 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 <clears throat> the stone was rolled away, the grave was split in two. I could go on and on and on, because in every season of waiting, victory is found in the name of Jesus Christ. Boy, I don't care if I have to wait 113 years. I'm going to stand on my promises and believe that there are bigger things ahead of me because the one who is in me is greater than the one who is in the world. Oh, come, all ye faithful. God has not abandoned you. God has not abandoned you. He's just given you a little time to praise him for what comes next. Which brings me to my second point. Joy to the world. Verse, you probably see where it's going now. <laughs> Verses 27 through to 34. 
The parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of law. He took him up in his arms and he blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. These verses show the fulfillment of God's promise to Simeon, that he would see Jesus before he dies. And the response that Simeon has in this moment is one of expressed adoration and joy, proclaiming to all that this was indeed the savior of the world. The wait was finally over, and you can only imagine how Simeon would have been feeling in that moment. I love the consistency of God's word here too, because this blessing that Simeon speaks uh, out over Jesus is a parallel to a verse referring to the Messiah in the Old Testament. Found in Isaiah 49, verse 6, which reads, I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. It's quite astounding to me, really, that Simeon and Anna were the first ones to recognize Jesus in the temple on this day. I mean, it would be safe to assume that this temple was filled with people worshiping, praying, doing all sorts of religious things, right? There would have been priests, scribes, Levites, some common people, and it's very likely that a lot of them were worshipping and praying for the same thing that Simeon and Anna were, the coming king. Because Malachi 3 verse 1 tells us, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord who you seek will suddenly come to his temple. It's possible, maybe a stretch, that some of the people in the temple this day were hoping to get lucky and meet the Messiah. But if all those people in the building, the only two that recognized Jesus for who he was, were Simeon and Anna. Why? Because they didn't allow for the the religious rituals to divert their focus. They weren't worshiping to check a box. They weren't living a faithful life because that's what they felt they were required to do. They were doing it because they knew that their God was alive and well, and in every moment, they were expecting him to move. Even in church, even in moments of worship and praise, we cannot allow our focus to be diverted. What do I mean by this? Well, I mean that worship is not just about thanking the Lord for what he's done, but it's also anticipating that the Lord will continue to move because he is not a passive God. We should be worshiping with expectation, worshiping with expectation, Simeon and Anna were living their lives in expectation of something that was coming, allowing them to see Jesus for who he was. You know, I reckon there would have probably been another person in the temple that day, someone who was having a busy day. It was a busy time of year for them. And and on that day, they went rushing into the temple to, to do their daily prayers and their daily worship. And they got there and they, you know, they thought to themselves, I don't have any time for, I don't have any time to catch up with my neighbor. I ain't, no, ain't nobody got time for that. And then after that, they thought, no, I've got no time to stay for tea and coffee at the end. I'm not doing that either. And as they went rushing back out the door, they might have bumped past Mary, Joseph, and Jesus. And all they could think to themselves was, oh, thank goodness I didn't have to stay for the baby dedication. Missing out on what was straight in front of them, right? Completely missing out on the divine moment because they were looking for what was obvious and not for what was on offer. Simeon and Anna are a great example to us today of what it looks like to be be aware of the extraordinary within the ordinary. 
They couldn't have possibly known that that was going to be the day that Jesus showed up. But because they were already expecting spiritual movement, it wasn't a shock to them. And they didn't struggle to, they didn't struggle to recognize the divine. And I think this characteristic is so important for us to imitate in our lives today. See, while you might not have the same encounter, God can utilize you just as much as he did with them. But in order for that to happen, we need to be ready and willing to serve him. Luke chapter 12, verse 35 to 38, Jesus puts it this way. Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning, like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. He may come in the middle of the night or just before dawn, but whenever he comes, he will reward the servants who are ready. Through worship, prayer, and a faithful heart, God won't just meet your expectations. He'll exceed them. How do I know this? Because Ephesians 3.20 tells us that the Lord is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. And for Simeon and Anna, it was being commissioned to proclaim joy to the world. How incredible. And as the worship team comes back up to join me, my third point, O worship the king. Verses 36 to 38. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshipping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at the very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Here we are introduced to Anna, a woman whose life was an anthem of worship. Anna's devotion wasn't bound by duty, it was a love story with God. Even with immense sorrow of losing her husband, despite her earthly loss, she found solace in the temple, committing herself to the service of God through worship, fasting, prayer, and teaching his truth to all who would listen. This devotion wasn't done for any recognition either. She had the manifestation of God's grace upon her, and that was all the recognition that she needed. Decades upon decades upon decades, Anna sought the presence of the Lord, knowing that he alone was her provider and upholder. I love the account of Anna. I really do, because it demonstrates the influence of simple faith. So often throughout the Bible, we're told these incredible stories of faithful men and women and the amazing things that they accomplish through their faith. Stories that are unbelievable, stories where it didn't make sense, but God made sense of it. Stories where the impossible was made possible. And while these stories are amazing and incredibly inspiring to read and to study, I believe sometimes it can warp our thoughts on what it looks like to live a life worthy of the King. Earlier in the message, I said that as I read this scripture for the first time, I asked myself the question, what would they say about me? And throughout my life, there's been so many times where I've looked back on my testimony and kind of thought to myself, is it interesting enough? Have I done enough? Have I overcome enough? Have I been through enough for it to be of some influence to other people? And then I come to a testimony of Anna, only three verses long. She lived a fairly simple life. There wasn't anything flashy about what she did. And I definitely don't think she would have thought someone would write about her in the greatest book ever written. 
But God has revealed through the testimony of Anna that your worth is not a result of your achievements. Your worth does not equate to how good of a story you can tell. Your worth is found through God and God alone. Anna was carrying an immense amount of sorrow. She had been a widow for a very long time. She might have even thought to herself that she was of no use to anyone. But through continued faith in the Lord, she found her worth. Through a life of worship and praise, she found her fulfillment. And in response, she gave thanks back to the Lord and proclaimed his news for the first time to anyone who would listen. That's what she was rewarded with. O come, all ye faithful, joy to the world. O worship the King. As we approach Christmas, we have to remind ourselves that there is only one story that has made us worthy. And it was a selfless act of love where God has sent His one and only Son so that your relationship with Him might be restored. If you're in a season of waiting, God has not abandoned you. He's just giving you a little time to praise Him for what comes next. If you want to see a movement of the Spirit, worship with expectation. If you're wondering how to influence others, remind yourself that a simple faith kick-started the greatest revival that the world has ever seen. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Know that the Lord is King. It is He who made us and we are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His holy name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and His faithfulness to all generations. O worship the King, all glorious above. O gratefully sing of His power and His love, our shield and defender, the ancient of days, pavilioned in splendor and girded with praise. The one who gifted us with a miracle birth and brought to us heaven on earth. O worship the King. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the story of Simeon and Anna. Lord, that through their testimony, we can learn what it looks like to live a faithful life filled with worship and praise. Lord, as we now come back into a space of worship, we ask that you would rid our minds of any distractions so that we may reflect true worship, not just for what you have done, Lord, but for everything you are going to do for us. Lord, we have expectant hearts this morning and we are so ready for your spirit to move. Lord, we love you, we honor you, we praise you because you are worthy. Thanks for listening to the Crossroads Church Podcast. If you'd like any more information on our church, how to give, or after this message you'd like to talk to someone, you can find everything you'll need to know on our website, crossroads.co.nz. Make sure you subscribe to this channel to keep up to date with new content. But thanks again, and we'll catch you soon.